0: This morning, our scripture reading is coming from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. This is one of the most famous prophecies about the coming coming Savior, Jesus Christ, and his suffering and his resurrection. Listen to these words Who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. As we prepare to hear from God in the word, let's come before him and ask for his help. Lord, we are here to to hear your voice. And Lord, we pray that as you speak to us through the preached word, especially that we would see our Savior, that we would love him, and that we would serve him. Lord, the only way that this is going to happen is if you give us your Holy Spirit to soften our hearts, to open our eyes, to open our ears so that we can hear and know and change. We pray that you would do these things because of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. So it is Easter this morning, so we're going to be taking a, a short break from the book of Colossians, and we're going to be turning together to Matthew 28. That's Matthew 28. We'll be looking at Matthew's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. will be reading the whole chapter together. Then Jesus said to them, "'Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me.' While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, "'Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble.'" So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Why are you here this morning? Maybe that's a question that you don't often ask, but why, why are you here this morning? Maybe some of you are here because you're visiting family. Maybe some of you are here because you wanted to visit another church. Why are any of us here in worship this morning? Again, there's lots of different reasons that we can give, but there's really one basic reason. There's one basic reason that any of us are here this morning. It's right here in our passage, actually. Each one of us is here this morning because Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Jesus' resurrection, we know, is the center of our faith and of our lives as Christians, But maybe I can make it even more specific. We are here this morning because Jesus Christ, our King, calls us to be here. He calls us, but then He graciously commands us and empowers us with all the authority that He has as our resurrected Savior. He graciously commands us and empowers us to worship Him as King. And even more than that, as we see in this passage, he commands and empowers us to fulfill his mission of extending his kingdom. As we look at Matthew 28, the main idea is this, because Jesus is our risen king, he gives us a great mission and he guarantees its success. Again, because Jesus is our risen king, he gives us a great mission and he guarantees success. Its success. So we look at this passage, we'll see three basic points. We see the risen king revealed in verses 1 through 10. We see the risen king rejected in verses 11 through 15. And finally, we'll see the risen king commands in verses 16 to 20. Let's begin then with the risen king revealed in verses 1 through 10. Our, our passage this morning begins with what, what actually seems like an ending, Verse 1 seems like the ending of the story of Jesus. At least that's what it would have seemed like to the Marys, those two Marys, as they were walking through the dawn, heading toward the tomb. They were walking to the tomb of their dead friend and master, Jesus Christ. Jesus lay dead in that tomb, and they were coming now to put the final touches on His body. We know that from the other Gospels, that they were coming to anoint His body for burial. But walk with them. Think about what they must have been feeling. It was not supposed to end like this. Jesus claimed to be the Son of Man. He claimed to be the Christ, the promised Savior. And everything he said and did backed those claims up. Jesus was destined for glory, not the grave. But for all those things that the women had seen and heard, they had also just watched Jesus die. They had seen him suffer, hanging on a cross until he had died. And to these women, and to the eleven disciples, and the rest of Jesus' followers, it must have seemed like the end of the story. What in the world had gone wrong? The answer is nothing. Nothing had gone wrong. No, this is what they're about to discover, that this is all according to God's plan, and God's plan for our salvation God sends them an angel from heaven here to proclaim that everything is gone according to plan and Jesus, the Savior and King, is now alive. As we look at what the angel says, notice what the angel does first. He actually proclaims God's power and glory without even saying a word. Notice how it opens. And behold, there was a great earthquake For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and he came and he rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing, white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. This angel comes as a messenger of God. Now God raised Jesus Christ from the dead without anyone knowing. But now through the angel, God makes abundantly clear what has happened. And that he himself is the one who did it. That that earthquake, the angel rolling back the stone, those show God's power in raising Christ. And as those soldiers look at the angels, they see the lightning, the face and the clothing like lightning, as white as snow. That's showing God's glory. These are unmistakable signs that what has happened has come from God. No wonder the guards are afraid as they see all these things happening. These are seasoned soldiers. They've seen a lot. But they become like dead men when they are faced with the power and glory of God. But then the angel speaks. Then the angel speaks. And when the angel speaks, we see that the message he has come to proclaim is also a message of peace and of grace. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid because you are seeking the right person. You are looking for Jesus who is crucified. But here's the grace, the gospel grace in the message. The women are seeking the right person, but now they're looking in the wrong place. The angel says, he is not here. For he has risen as he said, come see the place. Where he lay. Just think about those words. He is not here, for he has risen. That simple statement, that simple statement is at the heart of the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that he was raised from the dead for us. We need both the death of Christ. And the resurrection of Christ in order to be saved, both are essential for us. Why do we need the resurrection? Why is it so important? Where is the grace of the resurrection? Well, in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God graciously provides us what we need. The resurrection shows that God has actually accepted the sacrifice of Christ, that perfect life of obedience and that death that he died God the Father accepts. Christ is raised so we can be saved. But God does more. God gives us more in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because God causes us to share in the resurrection life of Jesus Christ right now. See, in Romans 6, one of the famous passages about our life as believers, Paul says that we can put sin to death. We can actually obey God because... We have been raised with Christ. Your holiness now in your life comes because you share in Jesus' life. let also look at other parts of our life now. We share in Jesus' resurrection, which gives us hope that there is victory over the grave that we will have. And God promises us that because we are in Christ, because we're sharing in that resurrection life, that we will share in His resurrection even more when he raises our bodies from the dead at the last day. So really the resurrection of Jesus Christ is at the heart of the gospel because it is the foundation of the past, the present, and the future of the Christian life. He is not here, for he has risen. There is God's saving grace in that message. This is a message of saving grace that must be believed. Paul says it this way. Book of Romans, he says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's grace in that message. But there's also grace in the way that that God actually confirms the message. He confirms that Jesus is actually alive. The angel himself is a trusted messenger from God. The stone that he rolls away reveals an empty tomb. The angel points the women back to what Jesus himself has said. Jesus has spoken many times about his death and his resurrection. And then the angel invites the women to come into the tomb and see with their own eyes the place where he lay. Do you see God's grace even in the way that he shares this good news with them? He he knows the weakness of our faith. God knows us so much better than we know ourselves. He knows our faith is weak. And so in his grace, he gives these women and he gives us help to strengthen our faith. Now this great heavenly message of Jesus' resurrection, it comes with a mission. It comes with a mission, a mission to proclaim it. We actually see this in the command of the angel in verse 7. He says, now that you've seen these things, now that you've heard these things, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. The women are meant to to believe that Jesus really has been raised and then immediately proclaim his resurrection to the disciples. As the women run to tell his disciples Jesus himself comes to confirm the truth of their message. Verses 8 through 10. So they departed quickly. They obeyed and they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. The women respond rightly to Jesus's presence here. They don't ask him any questions. Their their fear is gone. No more doubts. No, there is immediate worship. And Jesus gives those same women almost the exact same message as what the angel said. He says, tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. But there's one important difference. Did you notice it? There's one important difference in what Jesus says. He calls his disciples brothers. These disciples are the same ones who just 48 hours before had run away from Jesus. They had left him alone to suffer and to die. And Jesus can now say, tell my brothers. There is a note of grace in that. There's a note of forgiveness. Their fellowship with Jesus is being restored by him as they head to see their risen king. But we see, second of all, that this message of the risen king is rejected. The risen king is rejected, verses 11 through 15. The story takes a turn here. Two two sets of people are actually heading into Jerusalem. We've met the first set. We've met the women who want to go proclaim the message of Jesus. But there's also another group heading back to Jerusalem. These are the guards. They have the same message that Jesus is alive, but the response to their eyewitness accounts couldn't be more different. Notice what it says. The guards came to Jerusalem and they told the chief priests what had taken place. And that they told them about the angel. They told them about the earthquake. They told them about the empty tomb. They told them all of it. Really, there's only one conclusion. Jesus is alive. Maybe these leaders will finally believe. I mean, they knew Jesus very well. They had seen his miracles. They had heard his teaching day after day. They knew what the Old Testament Scripture said. Maybe now this final piece will convince them. But no. No, they respond by rejecting the truth again. Notice what it says. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. Matthew actually goes out of his way to show how deliberate these actions are, they took counsel with the elders. That means they sat down and they really thought through what they had heard and what they were going to do about it. And their response, after all that thinking and all that talking, their response is to bribe the guards to tell a lie. It's not even a convincing lie, is it? How, just think about it. How could Jesus' disciples manage to roll away this massive stone without waking up the soldiers. And if the soldiers knew that sleeping on the job meant discipline or even death, what were they all doing sleeping in the first place? This lie doesn't even pass muster. But really, that's the point. Because the entire situation here is underlining the sinfulness of sin. You would think that the evidence of Jesus' resurrection was overwhelming but the leader's rejection comes from an unbelief. It comes from a lack of faith rather than a lack of knowledge. They know the facts, but they have no faith. And so often that's the case today. Many, many people continue to reject Jesus as king. They, they may tell you many reasons why. They may even tell you many reasons why the resurrection of Jesus never happened or, or couldn't happen or it's impossible. You can come up with all these things. But in each case... The most fundamental reason why anyone cannot accept the resurrection is because they cannot accept Jesus the king. It doesn't matter how many times you tell them. It doesn't matter how many times you show them the truth of the word. Apart from faith, they will never believe. If Jesus, though, really is that resurrected reigning king, then what he says is true. And that confronts us in our sin. Because if he's king, you and I can't be king. We can't rule anything. No, we are sinners. Jesus calls us sinners deserving of hell and God's wrath forever. That's why we reject him as our king. But each one of us desperately needs Jesus and Jesus alone for salvation. Let's look third and finally then at Jesus, the risen king commands in verses 16 to 20. Matthew actually purposefully shows the response of the leaders, and the response of the disciples. And it's a sharp contrast. Jesus' disciples traveled to Galilee in obedience to the command of their risen king. Now we know from other parts of the Gospels in, in the New Testament, this is not the first time that Jesus appeared to his disciples, what we're going to read in these verses. No, he's actually showed himself to them in other times. And actually, he even came to 500 people at one time. But Matthew chooses to focus on just One time, on this one specific time when Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples in Galilee on the mountain on which Jesus had directed them. And Matthew chooses to focus on this one event because this shows one important result of Jesus' resurrection. Here's the result, that Jesus, the risen king, commands his church to spread the gospel and to build his kingdom. That's the essence of what Jesus is commanding here. And Jesus gives this command, this new command in a way, with the authority that he has received in the resurrection. That's what it says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's how he frames his command with this new authority. Jesus has authority right over all creation because he's made everything, but he's talking about something new here. Jesus clearly says that this authority has been given to me. What what does Jesus mean by that? Well, the Bible is clear that Jesus actually receives honor and status as the Savior, as the mediator that he did not have before. You can look in the Old Testament, for instance, at Psalm 2 or Psalm 110. But I want to focus on what Paul says in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Listen to these words carefully, thinking about the sacrifice of Christ. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What Paul says is there because of what Jesus has done by dying on the cross, God gave him the highest name, and everyone and everything will worship Jesus. They worship him not just as the eternal Son but as the Savior now as well. And that is a similar dynamic to what we see going on in Jesus' words in Matthew 28. As the Savior, God the Father has given him authority over all creation. Jesus, in other words, is the risen king, not just over his people, but he is the king of everything. And it's with that authority that Jesus commands his church. And Jesus says, Go, therefore, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus is saying, because I have the authority, because I have the power over all who oppose you, over sin and sinners, over Satan and even over death, and because I have the authority, I have the power over sinners to whom you will go to change their hearts, to bring them to repentance and to faith and obedience. And because I have authority, I have the power over even you to send you and to bless your words with power and to sustain you in suffering. Because I have that kind of power and authority, go. Make disciples by proclaiming the gospel. Bring people into the church, into relationship with me through baptism and teach the full counsel of God. That is the authority and the command. We need to believe Jesus' authority, Jesus' power, as we look at this mission that he has given to his church. It is a challenging mission. What he is commanding here is hard because there is always opposition to Jesus Christ and the gospel. It's also a comprehensive mission. Because this message is for all people. Go to all nations. And it's also a message that is for all of life. From first hearing the gospel to that final act of obedience, all of that is in this command. It's also a constant mission. This is the mission of the church in all places and in all ages. This is the mission of our church here. And this is the mission of the churches that you come from as well. It's true, there are aspects to this mission that I've been uniquely called to as a pastor. I've been called to preach, to proclaim the good news. I've been called to administer the sacraments of Lord's Supper and to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I've been called to even exercise the keys of the kingdom, to discipline. I've been called to shepherd your souls. But it's not just me. It's not just these apostles, it's not just me. This mission is given to Christ's church. Each one of us participates. We participate in sharing the gospel. We participate in welcoming new believers into the body of Christ and encouraging and correcting and teaching other believers. We do this in service, we do this in prayer, we do this in worship. This mission that Jesus has given Is given to us, and we need to rely on Jesus' authority as we do this. It's only because of Jesus' authority as the risen King that this mission is successful. And it is successful. You and I, just, just think about this for a moment. You and I and this church here are proof that Jesus, the risen King, is powerful. He has brought us out of spiritual death to spiritual life. And he's brought us together to worship him. If we are in Christ, then we're no longer slaves to sin. We're not living in that kingdom anymore. No, we are saints of Christ. And this church is an outpost of his kingdom. <clears throat> and if that's true for us, here at one tiny little church with just a few believers gathered here this morning, think about how this is true for the church worldwide. Christ's mission is successful to save sinners And to build his people. But we doubt. We all doubt this. We all doubt what Jesus says. And when we do, we need to rely on Jesus' final words here. He says, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus, in his resurrection power, is always present with his people. That means he's present right now and he'll be present tomorrow and Tuesday morning and Thursday night. He is always present with his people. I cannot emphasize enough the comfort and the power that that truth brings. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here this morning? Maybe for some of you, Christ has brought you to bring you to repentance to bring you to faith because God is calling you, maybe for the first time, to believe in Jesus Christ who is raised from the dead. You and I need a Savior who lived for you, who died for you, and who was raised for you. And that is Jesus Christ. Do not reject Jesus, the risen King. He is here with the power to give you eternal life. And everything that you need. But many of you are here because Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord, that you've been gathered into His kingdom. And let me encourage you then to rely on the power of our risen King. Without the power and presence of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has commanded His church is impossible. Not just hard, not just difficult impossible but we have a strong risen savior in his resurrection he has defeated his enemies and those are our enemies as well he reigns in power now and we are sharing in that power as you go forward to serve as you go forward to serve your king you are doing that in his power as you read the scriptures together, as you fight sin in your life, as you serve in the church, as you worship together, in every single aspect of what you are doing in obedience to this command, you can only do that in the power of the risen King. Let me encourage you then. Let me encourage you daily to go back to the empty tomb. You are not going there to look for a dead Savior. No, we are going there to find a risen king. We are going there to be reminded that we serve him and we serve him in his power alone. This is the great truth of the gospel of Jesus' resurrection and his mission for us, his church. I pray that this would be something that you and I grow in as we serve him together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we are thankful that we can pray to you, our Savior and our King. Lord, as we see the the resurrection of Jesus Christ, in all his power, we know that he did this for us. He did this for our salvation, our sanctification, for our ability even to be able to be with you forever. Lord, you have done so much for us in Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we serve you in love and in response, that we would serve you only in the power of Jesus Christ. That's the only way we're going to be able to keep your commands. That's the only way that we are going to share the gospel and live for you. And we pray that you would be faithful to your promise, that you will be with us in power to the very end of the age. We pray this now in Jesus' name alone. Amen.